Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard. Well, let's start off with the thing that upset me this week, <laughs> which in the grand scheme of things doesn't even really matter. It's not a big deal. You know, it is what it is. I'm going to throw this uh, caveat out at the start that uh, please enjoy whatever you will enjoy, whatever TV show, movie, um, you know, whatever media happens to, to be your fit, go and enjoy that. If you don't want to hear about my thoughts on Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, please turn this off, come to another episode, or go back and listen to one of my old ones, because I am going to talk about this, uh, this show... And this story, you know, the the, the storyline, that this, uh, I don't know how else to put it, it you know, this, this Tolkien uh, saga has been with me since I was uh, a kid. It's one of the very first things that I remember actually uh, enjoying uh, as a kid reading. I was not a big reader growing up. I didn't have a lot of access to, um, you know, I, I didn't have interest, or rather, I had access, but I didn't really have any interest w in, in any books. And um, I remember my buddy, who I've spoken about in uh, previous episodes, uh, Bill, who did not like me and ended up, uh, ironically, becoming uh, one of my best friends. <laughs> he um, He's the person that introduced me to the world of Tolkien. Uh, he... I believe gave me or let me borrow the Hobbit, which is you know the first thing that I read, and then from there I, I went on to read the books that it would would eventually. I mean, the Hobbit got turned into a movie too, but uh, you know the the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, and then after that I went out and and started seeking uh, any of the Tolkien uh, stuff that was out there that I could pick up and devour. Um, you know, it's just, it's something that is near and dear to my heart because I grew up with it much the same way that Optimus Prime is something that is near and dear to my heart and, and so many other things, you know, uh, classic run of the X-Men with uh, uh, the fantastic artist Mark Silvestri. That was probably my favorite X-Men era of all time. So there's just certain things that I, I hold on to, you know, in my geek heart that, that started my path on onto geekdom. So I was super excited, you know, before this uh, show was announced, when it had been announced that uh, Amazon was delving into and uh, producing The Wheel of Time, for example. I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait. That is awesome. Can't wait to see that translated over. I was already going in with the idea, too, that everything was going to be truncated because of how difficult it is and how much money it costs to 
translate over such a giant story. In fact, I was a little shocked that they were going to attempt it anyway to begin with. And uh, so, you know, it was a it was a delight to, to know that that was going to happen. And then I saw the end result. And, you know, what I read as opposed to what they're pushing, and I guess there's a second season coming of Wheel of Time, just, uh, you know, I didn't recognize it. It was not the Wheel of Time that I knew. It wasn't what I had read. It, it was some other thing that took the names, places, the abilities, and they over overlaid a completely different direction and story for every single character. So, you know, it's not Wheel of Time. It just it has the name, but it has no actual reflection to the to the source material. Well, after that, I got burned and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm very cautious about this announcement of, you know, a Lord of the Rings TV show, which, you know, on its face is almost too good to be true. Peter Jackson did an incredible job with the original trilogy. He had a bit of a rougher time with the the following trilogy and there's a lot of reasons for that there it's not this is not so much of an, an excuse as it is just the facts of reality that when the hobbit was being adapted for the screen it was originally uh, going to be two movies and peter jackson and his writing partner slash wife were uh, creating the script as well as Guillermo del Toro. So the three of them together were working on the Hobbit um, movie. At some point, there was a falling out between Guillermo del Toro and New Line Cinema, if I remember correctly. So uh, he exited, and Peter Jackson was never intending to direct any of those movies, wasn't prepared for it. It was basically... It turned into a rush job because there had been an announcement. The way that the you know the the movie system works from everything that I've read and and listened to is that uh, once a movie studio puts the time, you know, uh, puts a uh, a time placement for a movie, like it's going to come out, you know, on this date this year then they have to meet that goal because there are so many different studios that are also working on movies that they try not to step on each other and come out with similar things. Or, you know, if you're Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, you don't necessarily want to come out near Avengers, uh, you know, Infinity War or Endgame or whatever because it's going to pull money away, potential money away from you know, what it is that you're putting out. So they try to be very strategic about when things are going to be uh, placed out there. And, you know, they try to get the most bang for their buck and, and get the most audience that they possibly can. And so with Guillermo del Toro falling out and Peter Jackson scrambling, you know, and, and being put in, in the driver's seat for directing, uh, you know, the final product was not what, Peter Jackson was hoping that it would be what the studio was hoping that it would be at the money. You know, the movie still made money it, and it was definitely enjoyable. I'd have to go back and rewatch it to get, give you my, 
my real, you know, final thought on it because I, I remember seeing it in the movie theaters and then I remember seeing bits and pieces afterwards, but it's not something that I've ever gone back and really dove into. And in fact, it's something that I should. I should watch The Hobbit now and then watch the uh, original trilogy that was put out by Peter Jackson and kind of enjoy it as a, as a uh, y- you know, as a uh, linear narrative, uh, the way that it's supposed to be done. So anyway, I had, you know, so when I heard that Amazon was going to be coming out with a Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, you know, which immediately alludes to the main bad guy, Sauron, creating these, or or not creating, but rather uh, manipulating the various races that live in Middle, Middle Earth to create these rings that will give the, the wearers abilities, but at the same time, enslave them over to him you know i was i was like oh man that that's a lot to tackle for you know for anybody for any studio and like i said i'd already been burned by the experience of wheel of time so man i was like oh, okay I'm, I'm i need to start reading everything that i possibly can you know find found out who the showrunners were which two people i'd never heard of not that i'm like an expert on showrunners either it's just I knew that it was two people that were newer to show running and not seasoned showrunners. And then different things started trickling out about who they had cast and the way that they were uh, the way that they were developing Middle Earth and, and the things that they wanted included Middle Earth. And you know, one of the things that sunk my heart, I remember reading a few months back. Uh, you know, in, in one of the many uh, different interviews that were out there is that the showrunners had told the writing staff to avoid reading any Tolkien because they didn't want them to be influenced by Tolkien, which, as I say this, I mean, maybe to you it doesn't sound weird, but to me that is like one of the most head-scratcher things that I could possibly imagine. Like, you're literally playing in the world that this guy wrote and you're telling your staff not to engage in his writing? Like, does that make any sense to anybody? I don't think I even need to try to do an analogy, uh, uh, you know, on what it could be like. Like that, that I, I couldn't be more straightforward on uh, on that. It just, it, it's absurd. It's it's a stupid, stupid move, you know. And uh, so I just, I was in shock. I, I just couldn't believe that I had read that. And then, um, you know, and then all the things started to pop up about diversity and, uh, you know, making that world uh, closer to our world. And so, I, I, so, I I mean, it was as if they were intending to push me out. That's what it felt like. And, and that's a weird thing to say. Like I'm a, I'm a middle-aged Mexican, you know, American, you know, first generation American. Like it's not, you know, not, I, I, I know a ton of other Hispanic people around my age and, and it's not something that they normally would gravitate towards. That's not necessarily a thing. They're, they're more into John Wick and horror movies and, you know, uh, things that don't have, 
I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like a, like a large fantasy cerebral. And I'm not saying that I'm intelligent. I'm just saying like, like when you read those books, there's a, a lot of different threads that are going on. And there's a lot of morality play that is happening. And it's more difficult to digest. And maybe that's what makes it so enjoyable at the same time. But it's not for everybody. Right? So anyway, on paper... I'm not sure that it would necessarily uh, be something that would uh, appeal to me. You know, obviously it does. Um, but someone like me, rather, I'm saying someone that's within my demographic. So it did the opposite. When I was when I started to hear about what the plans were and I started to hear about where, what direction they were going, that actually was the thing that was not appealing to me. I... You know, I've said this before, and I don't need to rant about it again, but I don't need representation in my media. I need, you know, a good story. That's what I need. I don't need to be seen, you know, quote unquote. I I, I need to see and, and absorb and, and take in, you know, good story, good plot, great action. You know, just I love artwork. So that's what I want to see on screen. I want to see moving, living artwork that has some kind of great message that is cohesive and not a message as in, you know, teach me something, but rather that, that this thing, whatever it might be, whether it's a TV show or a movie has a point that they know that they have a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And the entire thing has a point. And it's not just this, this set of pretty pictures that are cobbled together with nonsensical story, you know, and, and it's the thing is supposed to hang on the thread of beauty, but it has nothing to support it. And that's exactly the way that I would describe this show more than anything else. The Rings of Power is truly, truly beautiful to look at. I mean, they spent half a billion dollars on the first season, half a billion dollars on the first season. That is the amount of money that they spent on Avengers Infinity War and Endgame together. It was half a billion dollars. You can see why all of the A-list actors that they brought in and all of the A-list stuff that was going on in those movies, you understand why they spent what they spent. So all of that amount was spent on a, you know, I think six or eight episodes of season one of the rings of power. And let's start off with episode one. And so this is going to be recollection more than necessarily than spoilers. Um, because I'm sure that I won't be getting things correct time timeline wise, because I, I haven't gone back. I've watched it once so far. And for me, that's been pretty much enough. So I'm just going to give you my general impressions of episode one. So episode one starts with uh, Galadriel, who, if any of you have seen The Lord of the Rings, you know who she would be in the, you know, that's Kate Blanchett, this tall, beautiful, elvish queen uh, that uh, ends up coming across Frodo and the rest of the crew after they lose Gandalf in the Mines of Moria to the uh, Balrog. And, um, you know, there's a, a really beautiful scene of temptation between 
uh, Frodo and Galadriel, where they're both ring bearers. They're both talking. She's telling him, I'm not sure that you're up to the task. I, I don't know if I should trust you. I, I just don't think I can trust myself either. Frodo's not really understanding where she's coming from or the dire warnings that she's giving. And Frodo is at this point so weighed down and he's got so much more to go in, in being weighed down and being burdened by this thing, this, this ring of evil that he's holding on to. You know, he just lost, you know, he just lost his, his North star. He just lost Gandalf to this horrific evil. He, um, I, I believe prior to that, they had lost Boromir or was it, uh, man, I can't No, You know what? Boromir still with them at this point when they enter into the, uh, the Elvish kingdom and because he also goes through, uh, temptation as well. But, um, you know, Frodo offers the ring to her and then you get to see what she could become if she took possession of the ring, you know, which would have been this, this horrific, but, you know, incredibly powerful, um, entity. And she goes ahead and denies it. And then that shows her, you know, that she has been able to maintain who she is and she does not give into the temptation and into the evil. And then that's when she makes a decision that she's going to pass on into the, uh, into the, the blessed realms, you know, that the, that the elves, uh, retired to basically, and, um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough thing to, to find the equivalent of much less replace Kate Blanchett. I mean, you know, amazing voice, uh, beautiful, you know, face and, uh, just incredible actress. So I'm not looking for that. If you're going to represent Galadriel and Elrond, two people that we've already come across, you know, previously who were played magnificently by, uh, you know, the original actors, uh, Hugo Weaving and, and, uh, Kate Blanchett. I'm not expecting that you're going to find the equivalent, but I am hoping if you're going to spend money that you're going to find as close as you possibly can, even if they are complete unknowns, you know, people that you can coach and, and get them to where they need to be to, you know, play these epic people. And, uh, so anyway, the show starts out with her as a as a young child elf, and the first thing that hit me in the chest was there is no difference between elvish children and human children. They're petty and mean, you know, like so I I'm not sure exactly what lesson there it is that they're trying to give us other than to show us like hey, elves are just like us, which you know, I don't want I don't want elves to be just like us. I want them to be above us. I want them to be, you know, otherworldly and, and mystical and different. And so that when they die or get hurt, it's, you know, like, oh man, something, something bad is really going on because, you know, whatever this thing is, that was able to hurt one of them is definitely going to, you know, mow through, uh, men. But, um, no, they're just, you know, they're like us. They're petty. They're they're mean spirited. They're there's not much difference. And um, you get to meet Galadriel's uh, uh, older brother. And already it, in this, they they change the. They're starting to change the history of 
Middle Earth as well and the Lord of the Rings, where the brother that we meet who eventually you jump forward goes into battle and ends up dying in battle is not actually the way that he truly dies in in Tolkien lore. So in Tolkien lore, he gets captured by Sauron and that's how he get he he gets killed through torture. You know, which if they had run it that way on the show, you would totally understand where Galadriel's passion and her rage is coming from. Um but they don't run it that way. So and then on top of that, yeah, the, let's talk about the rage. Like the actress that they got has a high helium voice, you know, which completely different than the Galadriel that we get in in the movies, who's got this nice, deep, sultry voice. So you've got this high helium voice who cannot stop snarling. Like her, I, I don't know if this is direction from, from the director that's directing her in the moment of the first and second episode, but I don't know why that choice, why they thought that choice would be good. Again, all it does is make her look, it makes her look human and petty and, you know, wrongheaded. Like the, the first episode has, so it jumps from her being a kid to her being an adult. And they quickly take you through the first war that they end up having with, uh, uh, uh let me see here. Uh, Melkor. So Melkor is like the original first bad guy and Sauron ends up becoming one of his lieutenants. And that's where you get that, you know, that's the evil that we get introduced to in the, in the uh, movies. But, um, so you go quickly, they, they jump many, many times in the show. And it's actually like disconcerting and hilarious at the same time, because you get all these thousands of years wrapped up in one hour of a show. Uh, I'll talk about this in in a minute when I talk about them introducing maps, which is so stupid, but it's the way that they do it that I'll explain. But um, yeah, so they, they, um, they go ahead and, and do all these time jumps. And then all of a sudden you're looking at uh, Galadriel, who is, you know, an adult now and she is pushing uh, this small band of elves that, that are with her really hard. You know, they, it's the, the part of the trailer that you saw where you see her um, uh, what, a snow wall, you know, like a, a climbing. You see that she's with a, a, a group of, of elvish men. And she is, you know, of course, stronger than them. She's faster than them. She's more skilled than them and certainly has bigger, you know, what than them. Because uh, even when when you see them, she's like, I don't know, maybe 30 to 100 feet away from them. She's already making her way to the top. And these chumps look completely exhausted. The elvish company that's with her there. First of all, there's not one elvish man with her. Everybody that they chose to portray the elves, it, I mean... They don't look like they've done any push-ups or sit-ups like their entire life. They, they, I, it's completely unbelievable that these guys could endure or much less fight anything. The main elvish guy that goes against uh, Galadriel, I, I, I have no, I have no problem uh, 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 believing that she could knock him out. Like it, the disparity between 
how much stronger she seems than this guy is it's absurd i mean it's like an adult man dealing with a 10 year old boy like that it's it's crazy i don't know why they chose to go that route other than just to really hammer it home to the audience like listen she's so much better than these guys that it's not even close and then you know they every step of the way this guy is on her heels about like turning back and trying to to disobey her and she's like now nah, you're you're staying in line i'm keeping you in line we're gonna keep moving we're gonna keep moving and so you know they get to this designated spot out in the will uh, you know out in the icy wilderness and it's this gigantic castle and it, it, there's some kind of uh giant troll thing uh, not like the trolls that we met in the uh, Hobbit and the ones that were shown, you know, that had been turned to stone. Like this thing is uh, more, uh, it's dumb. It, it it wouldn't be able to communicate, has no language. And uh, it's just this mindless giant beast that starts attacking, you know, her, her company, Galadriel's company. And nobody can do anything against it. So, you know, here comes Galadriel. She pulls out her sword and goes, starts going after it. And then dispatches it in a really beautiful kind of ball ballet style way. Now, I will say that the Galadriel of the books is described as a as incredibly incredibly athletic. She's also six foot four, and she has this fire in her that to to excel at everything that she does. So I'm not pushing back against that. I just don't think that that got represented properly. You know the. Again, the the girl that they have her playing has a helium voice, and she's pretty small. So it's very, very different than, you know, the Galadriel that you would be getting from the books. But anyway, she takes care of it. And then uh, finally, everybody, you know, everybody defies her. And she knows that she's right. She knows that she's on the trail of Sauron because this is the person that they're, they're going after. Uh, you know, after the whole Melkor thing. And Sauron by this time has gone, you know, he's, he's, he's not f in real reality underground, but he's, he's, you know, he's hiding, he's in hiding and they haven't been able to find any real trace of him for centuries, according to, you know, the first episode, which is wild. Again, like the time jumps is insane. And so you know, she gets back with her troop and there's other stuff going on, by the way, there's like, like uh, B and C and D stories going on. One of them with a group of hobbits, another one with, uh, these, this group of men that, that fought on the side of Melkor and Sauron. And so now because of that, and it was over a thousand years ago, according to, again, to, to this, uh, first episode, now the men that that betrayed all the other races that exist. Now they're under constant supervision from these elves that are somehow fascists or, or, or somehow, you know, they're like, they, they come into the town and they just make sure, Hey, nobody's turning on and nobody's going evil. Right. Or everybody's cool. Still, nobody's going to, uh, you know, come up into a rebellion. And they use that excuse to introduce this, I don't know, Brazilian elf who is in love with a chick who is clearly an elf, but the entire time her ears are covered with this, 
with this hair wrap thing. So you never get to see her ears, but you know she's she's an elf. Like that's gonna be the big reveal at some point. Dun dun dun. <gasps> I'm in love. You know, this Brazilian elf is in love with this white elf, and and this white elf has a child who's got a voice. Like if you've ever watched the uh, the the Little Rascals, there's a kid in the Little Rascals named Froggy, and when he talks, he's like, Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying alfalfa. Like it's this tiny little kid with that voice, and it's it's jarring to hear that voice come out of his mouth. That there's a, uh, uh, I'm assuming this kid must be Maori, because I think they're they're filming a lot of this in New Zealand, and this kid has this jarring voice. Yes, mother. Like I'm like I was not expecting. I mean, literally, the kid looks barely older than my ten year old, and he's got this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing here. I was like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's super jarring. Did you have to pick that kid? Couldn't you have gotten somebody that is more age appropriate with the voice? <laughs> like, <laughs> So anyway, that totally threw me off. But uh, yeah, the elves are not seen as a positive in this in this very strange hick human town that, you know, that is on the fringes of of this kingdom. And uh so you got that side story going. You've got the main story with Galadriel. What else? Is, oh yeah, you've got the another story with uh, these hobbits, and you know, and uh, you know, the hobbits are represented by every every race on the planet. You know, there's Asian hobbits, black hobbits, white hobbits, Maori hobbits, every kind of hobbit you can think of, and they're all living together, and they're all uh, migratory. So. Though they have like a weird system set up where they can take their village apart and put it up, you know, whenever they as they have need. Um, very different from the Shire hobbits, like the people that end up settling and building places, and you know are are thought of well by other the other races. Right now, these guys are more like uh, little country mice that hide from everything. You know, all the big people, and of course, they have a big part to play in the show because. Uh, the first episode, you see this shooting star meteorite thing, and it ends up crashing uh, right where the hobbits live. And uh, the image that you see, which I think is a giant misdirect of, there's some mostly naked, but for some weird reason, he's got a loincloth bearded dude who is in the middle of a crater that looks like the Eye of Sauron. So, you know, they're playing with a bunch of iconography and... And I don't know if I use that word right, but I hope I do. But uh, yeah, they're playing with imagery, maybe I should say. They're playing with a bunch of, of Tolkien imagery in that. And um, what's, the, what's the other thing that, that they're... Was there another part of, of the story that they're playing around with? No, not yet. That was the, f the first episode. But basically, you see Galadriel, you see her, her company, her troop. Uh, they all go against her, forces her to come back. She, you know, uh, meets up with Elrond and their old friends and the guy they got to, the, the guy they chose to play Elrond. I don't know if, if my geek boss at work is right or not, but she said that he's got a prosthetic chin, which if that's the case, like, no, like, why, why did you do like, if you, if you were trying to imitate Hugo Weaving's chin, they did a really bad job. Like it is it's a distracting chin. It's not a, um, a a more robust manly chin. And the Elrond that we meet, again, tiny. Like Hugo Weaving, big guy, robust. You see him in his elven armor when he's when he's battling at the beginning of the of the movie of the first one when they're taking care of Sauron. And dude, you could 
totally believe that dude's mowing orcs down left and right. This uh, Elrond, uh, I mean, he's mowing the lawn. That's about it. That, that's about all I can believe. And and also the the way that they depict him in this, he's I don't know, like some kind of uh, he's like a like a White House writer. Like you know, he's like a politician. He like he writes speeches and stuff for for the king. Like I'm that was definitely not the Elrond that I was expecting to meet. I was expecting to meet some kind of brash, half elvish, half human warrior. And instead he's like a some kind of politician person writer politician. Like it's very strange. Like very like just threw me completely off. So Galadriel comes back, her entire troop and, and here's the other thing too. The words that they're using for, for some of the scenes, like, don't really make any sense. Like, I, it, they sound highfalutin. That's the best way to put it. You know, everybody's British, so everybody has this accent. So the words that they're saying, you're, it's like you're expected to just allow it to be what it is because it sounds pretty and flowery. But nobody talks the way that be, the, the, these guys are talking. And I'm not just saying, like, if you go back and you you again you watch the the Lord of the Rings, when they're having conversations between each other, it sounds pretty. But the point, the words make sense. You know, like every every time somebody's interacting with somebody else, they're getting to a point in the the words that they're using. It just so happens that the words that they're using also just sound pretty coming out of their mouths. But that's not the point of it. This show. It's more that the point is for the thing to sound pretty more than it have any kind of real weight or meaning. And then everybody talks in, uh, or at least Galadriel and Elrond keep talking to each other in a, in a poetic way rather than a, like, just make your point way. You know, it, it's, again, it's very distracting for me. I do not like it. I don't appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, and, and Galadriel's like, Every she's just snarling left and right to everybody like like yeah dude I'm sorry that we don't believe you I guess we're not supposed yeah I guess you know I'm sorry rather that the that the men on in the show don't believe you I guess they don't believe you because they're all sexist like elves never got past that and so you know it doesn't matter who you are if if you're a woman whether you're an elvish woman a dwarf woman a, a hobbit woman a human woman. It's all the same, like, you know, it's the same struggle, sister. You're still going, you're still dealing with the same old thing. You're being kept down. And again, why make the elves, like, the, the same as, as humans? Like, that that completely takes me out of the story. Like, I want them to be elevated and above. So if she's got proof and she can, and by the way, she's got plenty of proof on the show that Sauron is still out there. Like, she keeps finding all these glyphs and then she finds a glyph that will that refuses to freeze like all you do is add water to it and immediately shows you that like the stamp of sauron which i don't know why sauron is running around middle earth and stamping you know his emblem everywhere where anybody can find it according to galadriel it's only for orcs to lead them to where they need to go next but i mean why is he that stupid that he would not expect other people to know what it is or to be able to find it? And his enemies, the people that he's trying to duck are the elves. So wouldn't the elves be looking for these glyphs and these things specifically? And I mean, the dude literally 
has patented a very specific evil, cool-looking glyph, you know, that, that like, it screams Sauron. Like, what? Like, I, I don't understand. So, anyway, another thing I don't understand, the uh, Elvish king says a bunch of babble words, and he's like, hey, Galadriel and this troop of people, you know, this troop of guys that went with her and defied her and brought her back, we're going to hook them up with the ultimate... Uh, uh, reward you guys get to go to heaven and so everybody's like all the dudes with that were with her they're like oh, dude that that's awesome and you know they're like they couldn't be happier and there's here's another thing about this but I'll, I'll talk about it in a second I just remembered it but anyway everybody's happy except for Galadriel she's like I mean literally there's a moment where the the king has this beautiful gold wreath thing that he's about to place on her head that he just put on everybody else's head and he's like all you got to do is bend the knee bend the knee bend the knee and finally she like ah, bends the knee boom puts it on her and he's like all right you guys are all going to the blessed lands and um you know well done you've eradicated the evil that was in the world you guys are awesome now you got to go so we find out through conversation between Elrond and the king elf that they're literally trying to get rid of her because they're like, man, and this is, again, he, here's where I don't understand the writing and here's where I don't understand the the uh, the connection or, or the common sense of, of how they thought they could get away with this. But according to the thinking from the king, it's best to send Galadriel away because... She might keep inside of her this fire to stamp out evil, and she might bring the very evil that she's trying to stamp out into the world. What? I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, how does that make any sense at all? It's insanity. Let me say that again. Galadriel is the equivalent of a police officer who is trying their very best to stamp out crime, but they are, they are wanting to stamp out, stamp out crime so badly and they're so efficient at it that they might actually end up creating and producing more crime than the crime that they're wanting to stamp out. I mean, uh, what? It, it doesn't make any sense. This is where the writing is like, uh, guys, you should have read some Tolkien and you should have like taken Tolkien classes and then you should have taken some writing classes and then you should have passed this work along to other writers. I mean, there, there's a story that I talked about uh, on one of the early, earlier podcasts where Amazon had reached out to Peter Jackson and his writing partner slash wife. I, don't, I know I keep saying that, but it's the only way that I think of them. But anyway... They had reached out and said, hey, we would love to have you on board. We'd love to, you know, have you uh, help guide this along. And Peter Jackson and his wife were like, yeah, that'd be great. But we can't do anything. And we, we can't commit to anything until we see the scripts. They're like, yeah, 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 definitely. We'll, we'll have that done. Then months go by, no script. And then no Peter Jackson involvement. And then finally, Peter Jackson talks about it. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm excited to watch the show. I can't wait to see what it is. I, you know, they reached out to me, but then nothing came of it. And then Amazon had to come out and say, well, that wasn't true. But then they admitted, yeah, that actually that was true. And this is how that came about. 
and then they explained it, and it was an unsatisfactory explanation. I suspect if Peter Jackson had gotten a hold of the scripts, we wouldn't be watching what we're watching right now. I mean, at least with the common sense aspect of it and the connections, maybe we'd still be watching the pushing of this and that, and, you know, here are the moral lessons that you have to learn, dummy, because, you know, you... you viewer are yourself evil and we represent your evil in this way and stop being bigoted and stop uh holding women back and you know uh woman power and you know whatever uh hobbit power whatever it is so yeah just absurd writing so anyway the the plan works the elf king gets rid of galadriel she jumps on a ship she's heading out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll talk about episode two and the and the absurdity and stupidity of that as well. But um, uh, you know, yeah, they, they're able to to get rid of her, and they keep condensing the so you know this Cimmerillion. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I've always been really bad at pronouncing things, but basically the book that they're pulling from has stories from the first age, the second age, and then the third age, you know, would be the age that we all know with Gandalf and Frodo and all all those people. But um, right now, the the way the show is moving, it's condensing like first age and second age. And there's so many things that happened, happened in those ages. Like just the, the, the battle alone with the original Satan, the first bad guy, Melkor, just that in of itself, they could have done season one with. Like, you would have still met Galadriel. You would have still seen a ton of different things happen. But they could have spent the entire first season just on on the rise, or, or rather, the fall of of Melkor from his position, you know, of, of who he was, and then the rise of him trying to take over, you know, all everything and then his his defeat and then you know you could have ended the first season with the the rise of sauron and then boom you're up and running with season two season three or whatever and then you tell the stories and then you you know you end the entire series with i mean mean, second to last season you ended with um sauron being successful duping everybody and the rings getting created and then the final season is all of the nations getting together to battle Sauron. They cut his finger off. You know, it, uh, the, the human King ends up taking the ring. And then, then that leads into what we ended up seeing on screen with Peter Jackson. Like they could have run it that way, but it doesn't look like they're going to run it that way. Like I have a feeling there's some conclusion that's moving towards that. If they get to have however many seasons they are going for, whether it's three seasons, six seasons, whatever. But, I think you could have focused on the first age and maybe done two seasons of the first age, two seasons of the second age, ending with the beginning of the third age and all the stuff that happens with Sauron and his defeat. It doesn't look like that's what's going to happen. Right now, all the stories are pretty disjointed. This is another thing I was talking to my geek boss about that I really, really loved and appreciated about Stranger Things is that they were able to jump back and forth between the A story, B story, C story, and D story 
And every single story was compelling and you wanted to get back to that story as well. Like you were excited to jump into an, another portion of the story, but you were just as happy to go back to the story that you were with before or to get to the next one. The Rings of Power, not at all. I mean, not uh, not a single character is likable to me and not a single story thread is interesting to me. I mean, it's just... Ugh, is the best way that I can put it. Um, it is definitely, for me, zero sombreros. And I've never given anything zero sombreros before. Uh, I'm throwing the the uh, wheel of time into that as well. I could not even stomach seeing the third episode of the wheels of time I, or the wheel of time. The only thing that I would say that the Rings of Power has over the Wheel of Time is that as of now, they're le they are legitimately trying to tell some kind of story and the, the push for social things is toned down and it's more subtle, but it's not smart and it's not, you know, it's not clever and it's not hidden it's just not as being pushed to the forefront where that is 100% what the story is about and then everything else is secondary. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, it's just not, sorry to say. So this is actually going to be, uh, I've been dropping podcasts on on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And Monday is my my old podcast, uh, you know, from right after I stopped doing it with Kenji, I started, I, I continued Hispanards, but really it was a Hispanard. So I'm bringing the classic sombreros and I'm dropping those every Monday and Wednesday and Friday, Wednesday, usually some kind of life thing that, you know, that I'm thinking about. And then Friday is usually like all geek that I'm thinking about. But um, I'm going to do this into two parts. So I'm going to do this one for uh, Wednesday, part one of, of uh, Rings of Power. And then the second part, uh, my, my, my thoughts, impressions, frustrations with the second episode on Friday. And this one I am going to go all the way through because I, I think it's definitely worth to see you know, what they're going to try to pull over everybody's eyes. Um, you know, what kind of wool they're pulling over everybody's eyes and, and where it is that they're trying to take the story. I, you know, who knows? Maybe by episode three, episode four, like it could actually start moving into a, a real legit good story. But I, as of now, from the two things that I've seen, I don't have much hope that here's the thing that I was going to get back to that I just remembered right now. Part, uh, part of the show that is is really bothersome is it feels empty for as many people as you are seeing you're not really seeing a lot of people so you're seeing a lot of small groups you know uh for example the elves that are sent oh you know along with galadriel to go to the to go to heaven basically like i would expect i don't know an entire field of elves there to celebrate and to, you know, to see everybody off. Like I, I would expect the kingdom to be there basically. 
uh, you get maybe at the most like 15 people. Uh, same thing with the, uh, with the hobbits. You, you get to see a couple of people in the background, but really the people that they're focusing on is very, very few. Uh, I hate to say that the kid is not likable, the little hobbit kid, but you know, it's, it, it's no Mary, no Pippin, no, you know, they, the, my problem with, with the, with the, uh, well, with all the various races right now for Middle Earth is that not a single one of them is carrying any of the traits and characteristics that you're, that you got accustomed to and were represented so beautifully in the original movies. So right now, the hobbits that we're introduced to, they're annoying and they're fearful and they're, uh, but there's not like this fun jauntiness to them they're not clever and yeah uh, i i don't know artistic and i i know that that's what they're trying to represent but the writing is not strong enough neither is the um the art direction for for them in particular like i'm i'm i, I don't even get a really good sense that they're hobbits because they don't have anything to contrast them to you know one of the one of the things that the Peter Jackson movies did so well and so beautifully and that he must have thought of in advance, when you saw The Hobbits, he got these giant pigs, these these real world, not CGI, but real life, real world pigs that were bigger than normal next to people who were, they did a camera trick to make them look smaller than normal so that Everything that the people are dealing with around them is much bigger than what they are. Right now, the way the effects are, I don't get a good sense of that at all. In fact, you know, the only time there's a contrast in that is when you end up meeting somebody from the second episode and there's definitely a size, you know, that's where they do the, the magic trick. But if they had been thoughtful with the show and they had been mindful, then they would have done it with everything. Like everything in their environment would have been slightly off kilter and bigger and would have given them the representation, you know, of the size thing that they needed. And I don't know why to like with that particular trick, that's a camera trick, which Peter Jackson, you know, employed. So it's not a special effect in the sense of you need to, spend money digitally to make that happen which why wouldn't you take that effect and use it with these people to give the the viewer a sense of like oh you're looking at hobbits now you, you know you're not looking at the hobbits that you will eventually come come to know and love but but that's what you're looking at you're looking at hobbits like you don't get a good sense of that and i don't know man it's it, everything feels dulled down like there's even the the elvish armor doesn't have the the beauty and elegance and artistry that you get from the movies and again if you're if you're spending that much money on a on the first season of a show you i mean you know hire some artists hire people that will give you that crazy detailed work that you need that so it can translate over you know, right now, I think the, the, it looks to me like the biggest part of the budget was spent on exclusively on the backgrounds 
more than on the details that are in front of you, which I don't know. That doesn't seem right to me. It seems like you're, you, you want to have it reversed. You want to spend all your money on the things that are going to be on screen more than the backgrounds, you know, the, the armor, the clothing, the, the hair, the, you know, all that stuff, prosthetics that you want to, you want to focus on that and the backgrounds you want to leave more ambiguous and you want to, you know, use camera tricks with and, and, and try to pull out all the stops with that, even do matte paintings and things of that nature. So it's, you know, it's a head scratcher right now. Like the, the backgrounds are absolutely gorgeous, but the things that are in front of me are, eh, you know, they're mediocre and that's, that's a bummer. So the writing is not good. The acting is mediocre. The people representing the characters that we already know are, uh, you know, like less than mediocre. The storyline so far is playing around with timelines that are so gigantic. Like the leaps are so big that it's, it's, it would, it would be difficult for a non-Tolkien person to really zero in on that and go, wait a second, how many years are going on here? Like, what are we being asked to, to focus on and, and understand? Because that's a huge difference between, uh, you know, a hundred years and a thousand years and what's going on here. Like it's, it's wild. So that's my first, uh, or that's my reaction rather to the first episode of the rings, Amazon's the rings of power. I do not like it at all. I will give you the review, the next review on Friday. Hopefully it's at least this is entertaining for you. And Hey, I'm going to say this right now. Again, I, what I'm saying might not mean anything to you at all. You might go into it and be like, dude, this is pretty awesome. Alex is insane. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. This show hits all of my, you know, my loves. And so if that's true and that's the case, more power to you. Fantastic. Go for it. But for me, bleh, I am not digging it. This is not what I was hoping for. This is not what I was expecting. And it is a huge bummer. So there you go. And with that, I will leave you guys for now. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about uh, episode two or, you know, Friday's episode. I'll, I'll tell you what I was uh, talking about with the maps uh, from episode two. It's, it's actually pretty hilarious to me. But anyway, so, yeah, anyway, I will leave you guys now the way I always do. Take your vitamins, drink your water, eat your vegetables, stay safe out there. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. Please leave something on on my uh, Apple, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave a review. Uh, would appreciate it. Leave some stars on there. It would be very great. I'd be very grateful. And then also, go to my Twitter. Go to my, you know, my Instagram. It's a Hispanard. And you are welcome to tell me that I'm crazy, or you know, tell me that you know I'm right. Whatever you want to tell me is all good. But engagement would be fun. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.